didn't I tell you to sit y'all's asses down on the couch? I'm throw the intro in and whatnot, but I bet after that, I'm gonna let you run. He's, ro he's ro we're already on. Oh, are we? Yeah. Whoa. Are we going? Okay, you guys didn't hear that. You didn't hear that. Welcome to a special, special fashion edition of Three Black Guys on the Couch. Um, as you can see, Alzo, Renee, Gary, they aren't here. And I'm just gonna be honest with you. They're not here because they don't dress like these fine gentlemen here dress. You know, it's a special edition. So uh, I'm with the great Nick Wooster. Hello. The great Johnny Valencia and Austin. <laughs> the mediocre Austin. <laughs> the mediocre. Austin in the middle. Austin, in, Austin the, in the middle. Austin in the middle. Austin, take it away. I am, I'm paying homage to Nick with my shorts. And then a uh, shout out to uh, Chris for the, for the loafers. Yes, shout oh out to God. Chris from Blackstock yeah. and Weber. Amazing loafers. Yeah. Um, nice. Well, let's just back up a little bit with my relationship with you starting at Vivian Westwood 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. And um, it's funny how we, we all know each other now is we started at Vivian Westwood in 2013. I met Rafe, one of your close friends, and then I started working for Rafe left moved to new york johnny went out to new york opened vivian westwood we reconnected when i came back you we reconnected when you moved back to la and so i always felt like we've always had jokes about like street style and <laughs> like we would compare things to like how you used to like <laughs> how you do dress <laughs> yeah and um and now here we are so you know it's uh come full circle yeah yeah oh okay Oh, great. Okay, epic. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, thank you, brother. Yeah, so, I mean, I, it is a very small world, but I do feel like um, I, I am really honored to know, like, two of the, like, I, I like you're you're a legend you're becoming one in your own right and um so we're so so grateful to have you guys both here thank you for yeah being here. you know i it's 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 so funny because um i've always been a a huge fan of nicks and from the tumblr days to now and um <laughs> when austin was like hey man uh nick wooster's coming in the gym i was like nick wooster i was like the nick wooster he's like yeah i was like you know nick wooster he's like yeah man from back in new york and i'm like i hate you but i love you oh no you know so i've always been like uh a huge fan you've been a huge inspiration to every single ounce of anything that i purchase and buy you know it's so um, it's an honor and meeting johnny <laughs> i met johnny through austin and johnny's just so amazing uh, with his styling capability and how friendly and welcoming you are and just uh, how um, how open you are with everything. You're like, yeah, hey, man. I was like, okay, um, I'm Austin's friend O'Neal. And you're like, hey, you're my friend too. I'm like, damn, that's dope. I've never- It's um, good company you rolling with me. You know what I mean? Like, say it again. You're in good company rolling around with me, you know? I hate to say it, Austin, but I've met, <laughs> I, I have met some amazing people through you. And, and when I say I hate to say it, it pains me. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, go but continue. Um, well, I, I, I wanted to read Johnny's bio real quick, just because there's some interesting words in here. You are a self-proclaimed vintage obsessed. Yeah. Elaborate on that. Elaborate. <laughs> okay. Well, first and foremost, I just want to say thank you guys for having me. It's, uh, it's a huge pleasure. I kind of dressed, uh, up for both O'Neill and Nick, uh, today in the morning I thought about, um, well, I grew up with your images, Nick. Uh, so that's been, I 
this was all the. Well, let's talk about what you're wearing. A huge surprise. Oh, what I'm wearing. <laughs> um, I well, Vivian Westwood. The kilt is Vivian. Um, I wore this for O'Neill because I'm currently hunting one for you. Uh, yeah, um, you'll, you'll see me in one pretty soon. Yeah, <laughs> which leads me into this whole vintage obsessive. Um, I'm wearing Margella tabbies. I think my socks are Vivian Westwood as well. The shirt is Vivian, and the um, uh, the blazer is Valentino. My and my accessories are Gucci and Vivian. I feel like I'm walking a ball, <laughs> <laughs> like a ball in New York. Um, yeah, I also wanted to pay homage to how um, Austin and I met and uh, the passing of uh, Vivian mm-hmm. Westwood, yeah. um, which you know greatly affected me both now um, as uh, in an emotional state, but also through our business, I don't think that you and I would have ever met. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, but yeah. uh, Westwood was really like the catalyst to yeah. a lot of yeah. how we took on the fashion industry. Yeah, absolutely. Learned so much, met incredible people, obviously, like, like I said, just the small world connection of, you know, the the global impact that she had, but you know, the people who wanted to pass through the store, just even just to come into the store, whether they bought anything, you know, we made connections through these people having, having that as, um, the place we called home. But, um, you know, obviously like you taught me a lot about styling. You taught me about couture, how to sell clothes to women, zipping up a corset. (laughs) Like I was clueless. Um, you, you, I mean, I, I learned a lot from you. So, um, you know, I seeing you take off Pachuga vintage, like, reworking the corset like how did you come how did you come around to that as like finding that niche with those pieces well i think it was uh learning with you uh because i I, in 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 the bio uh that i sent to o'neill today in the morning you know uh fashion was purely accidental to me i was never supposed to work in retail um i was supposed to always uh I, well, I was training to be a veterinarian and then um, my world is books and, you know, academia as a kid. I was a huge fucking nerd, which is why I say now that I'm a huge obsessive, because as you were there with me in the trenches, uh, zipping up corsets, um, I was like, wait, so how the fuck are these made <laughs> and why are they? Why? Why were they made? And um I, I explained recently in an interview that it was my time with you at Westwood and with the team, really, that I realized that Westwood's genius was couldn't be confined to her contemporary collections. You know, it's it's this notion that Nick said earlier in this in the conversation, wear whatever you want. Um, there were really no rules at Westwood. And that's kind of what why we're on this in this warehouse right now, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so you stumbled. So you said fashion wasn't your first thing. You just, how did you stumble into it? Oh, I was living in Paris. I was yeah. studying to be a diplomat. Veterinarian diplomat. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Pick anyone. Veterinarian yeah. diplomat. How, how did it go from that to that? Or yeah. I mean, it's funny. It's like, I've been a very self, I was always a self-aware kid yeah. growing up. And at five years old, I decided that I wanted to be a veterinarian. Yeah. So I just surrounded myself with animals and books and I'm just like, all right, cool. So we're doing this. Um, but I mean, I think 
you know, going back to I, why I love Westwood's philosophy uh, is because there's this one quote that I discovered from her not too long ago. It was from 2013, where she says that it's important to know uh, it's important to go to art galleries. It's important to know the name of plants. It's important to know that the, the human race is really made up of geniuses, you know, and um, and it was this curiosity that took me to Paris because uh, I kind of let Johnny speaks five languages, by I'm the way. I was just going to ask yeah, how many languages. Like yeah, incredible I, with language. Well, yeah. I enrolled myself in French as a kid and then um, I speak Spanish already. I'm not from here. So uh, and then when I moved to Paris, I took on Italian and then I came back to the United States. I took on Russian and um, I've been teaching myself uh, Japanese for like a month or so. Wow, that's amazing. That's a talk about. I mean, language you, you speak. Think how many languages you speak. Io parlo, parlo come bambino di cinque anni. Ah, I speak like a five year old. Like a five year old. Um, I don't speak languages. Um, I can barely speak English. And all I know in Japanese for as many times as I've been there is domo arigato. I love it. That's all you need to know. Um, Nick, Nick, how did you how did you uh, get into fashion? So I've told this story before, but it really is true. When I was a kid, we were middle, like we weren't rich and we weren't poor. And I'll never forget when I came home from high school one day, um, Jay Simpson, who was really cute, but you know, he was this rich kid and he had a Navy cashmere sweater. And I was like, mom, I want a Navy cashmere sweater. And she said, listen, I'm happy to buy you a sweater, but it's not going to be cashmere. If you want cashmere, go work for it. Mm -hmm. And so... I took my fat ass down to the nicest clothing store in town that sold Navy cashmere sweaters and asked them one day when I was a junior in high school, do you need any help after school? And they said, yes, wow. we do. And that's how I started working in fashion in, and I started working at the age of 16. And, you know, I am so grateful for my mom for sort of doing that. And then also for this guy, Charlie Roth, who gave me a chance, I mean, Pretty early on, he sort of, he was like, Nikki. So in those days, salesmen would come into the store. You know, they sold brands like Ralph Lauren and all these preppy kind of brands, Pendleton, but Gant. So like salesmen would come in with either ties or shirts or something. And Charlie would go, Nikki, come here. Which are, which are the best plaids? And he'd say, pick the best three. And I'd go, one, two, three. And he'd sort of shake his head. Then the next time, hey, Nikki, what are the best stripes? you know, for ties or for rugby shirts. And I'd say this, 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 and this. And he's sort of, and after a year or two, he started taking me on buying trips, first to Kansas City, then Dallas, then New York. And I started working there in the, you know, sort of Christmas breaks and the summers between years of college. And, you know, it was the only thing that I knew that I could do in fashion because I knew that I didn't draw. I knew that I didn't sew. I knew that I couldn't sketch. Um, and I would, and I, like also the college thing, you know, when I was a, <laughs> like a junior in high school, I said to my mom, um, I want to go to Harvard or UCLA. Mm. Now, of course, I had done nothing to prepare for either of those <laughs> kinds of things, but I made good grades. But, and she just looked at me and she said, listen, we are happy to send you to school. You have a choice, KU or K-State. And so I was like, well, you guys went to K-State, so I'm going to KU. And, um, <laughs> They didn't have fashion at the at KU, so at the University of Kansas. So, 
you know, I was, so anyway, so I was like, hmm, what's the easiest major that I can take and get through the quickest so that I can move to New York? And that's what I did. I majored in journalism, advertising, and made really good grades, but got no education because I was drunk and high the whole time. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, Trigger but, warning. <laughs> but, I, but I never thought that working retail was legit. So mm. I thought working in an advertising agency was going to be, you know, better. Mm -hmm. Anyway, through a long and short of it, I ended up working in an advertising agency. I basically didn't get fired, but sort of promoted up and out. Went to go sell advertising space at New York Magazine, was completely ill-suited for that job and got fired. Mm -hmm. They diagnosed my drug problem before I did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, was left with, at 26 years old, like, and this woman said to me, what are you going to do? And I was like, I want to be a buyer. And so <laughs> that's how I started working in fashion, a sort of a, a long version of that. But, um, oh, cool. you know, it was like, but it, I mean, my working in fashion was just a hundred percent necessity. Like I had to work mm. and I liked clothes. Mm -hmm. So to me, there was really no yeah. option, no yeah. other option. Yeah. What, what I find interesting about both of your stories is that, you know, <clears throat> cause traditionally growing up, when you work retail, like, I mean, where I grew up, if you were working in Foot Locker, no one was thinking like, how, how I'm going to parlay this Foot Locker opportunity into, yeah. you know, making sneakers or taking it to some higher, higher, you know, elite level. Yet you two started off in retail and you did that, you know, uh, and it's, it's just a, a, a clear example that that can it can be a, there's no ceiling there at all. You can take it anywhere you want to go. Well, it's really funny how it, I even ended up in retail because I resonated with your story because um, I got fired from Vivian Westwood Corporate because I got drunk at an event. Mm. And then they thought they were demoting me um, to working for retail. So I was like, fine. And then the CEO at that time was like, if you behave, right, you'll you'll get your uh, your corporate job back because I missed, you know, everything that that I thought growing up as an immigrant in the United States was afforded to someone that worked in corporate, you yeah. know? So I was like, I got my corporate job, you know? And then I, I fumbled cause I got drunk at an event, like I said. And then, um, but I, I just, I loved working for Westwood so much that I, I stuck around. Uh, but yeah, retail was never supposed to be in the plans. It's like, you know, I went in there really arrogant thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm supposed to be a diplomat. Like, why am I? <laughs> wow. But the first, the first day I remember this black lady comes in and I, you know, I'm like, oh, cool. Like, so it, that was an eye-opening experience for me because as a POC, seeing other POCs in luxury made me feel like, okay, well, the prices aren't too crazy here. But I remember the gesture like of having to get down on my knees and put on a shoe to her on her foot. I was like, I see. I was like, so this will probably be my life uh, until when, you know? Yeah. And that's when I was like, well, let me move up again. I did it in corporate, you know, let me, cause I, I was interning for Westwood and then I was granted that corporate job. So I was like, I'll work retail again and, um, and then climb my way up. Johnny's in a, a very modest, but Johnny's one of the hardest workers. Like he would be working and we'd all have to say like, Johnny, like chill out chill. a little bit. Like you're like, we just want to like hang out in the shop, sell a few things and go home. Yeah, right. Like, we don't got to worry about making the numbers yeah. today. <laughs> like stop, stop. Um, but, no, I mean, but, the, the humble thing is true. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know when he sent me his yeah. bio. I was like, so 
Who are your clients? Kim Kardashian. He's working on the, uh, the Grammys right now. He's been in all different fashion magazines. I'm like, Johnny, I didn't know. I was looking at I didn't I didn't know yeah. any of this about you at all. Well, how much of it do you feel like, and this for both of you guys, how much of it is like the hard work and, or just having an having a great eye as a buyer, mm. having good instincts with styling? Like where does the hard work and then just like God given ability play in? Hmm. Well, <clears throat> first of all, I don't know the answer to that question, but I do believe, and this is kind of an AA thing, it's kind of a 40, almost 50 years of work experience kind of thing. You, you know, there are a handful of people in life that seemingly get things handed to them. You know, they exist. Um, but most people, especially most successful people, it's like the stuff you don't know about, the stuff that isn't on Instagram, the stuff that isn't on television. It's like the fucking grind. Mm -hmm. And so, at least for me, I can only say that I believe that the reason that I'm sitting here today and that people like you guys maybe know about me in some way, because never in my life did I expect or anticipate or think that I would have the kind of life that I now seem to have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but what is behind it is 35 years of work mm -hmm. like and you know and retail figures prominently into that because it, so I was 22 when I moved to New York I started working first as an assistant department manager at Saks Fifth Avenue which was basically meant I was on the floor at the age of 26 so 1986 by 87 i was an assistant buyer and then became promoted as a buyer at barney's then 89 i was the designer collections buyer at bergdorf goodman to open the men's store and then by 93 i had left retail well i i was overseeing retail for calvin klein but i wasn't sort of in a store and then by 1995 was working for ralph lauren in design that whole arc in my twenties and thirties, you know, I was sort of on the ascendancy, so to speak. I was also not sober for most of that time. I got sober and then I seemed to crash and burn and my career didn't do the things that I thought it would when I got sober. But by 2004, when I was 44 years old, when I, because all my other friends were really becoming successful at that point, I couldn't get arrested. And I ended up, I was living in Los Angeles and I ended up working on the floor of Barney's in Beverly Hills selling women's designer dresses. And I did that for seven months and I was humiliated at mm. the idea of doing it, but I needed to work. And it was like an AA thing. You know, it's like, just do the next right thing. Like you need a job. And I did. And so that's what I did. And I'm convinced that that action signaled to the universe that I was like willing to do whatever it took so that really six years later i was on the sartorialist like how oh, wow. you know and was the men's fashion director at neil marcus and bergdorf goodman i mean i'm not and i i only had to be on the floor for seven months and it was actually of all the jobs i've ever had i i tell people this all the time it was such an amazing job because for the first time and only time in my life i didn't have to worry about next quarter next month next year you know, mm -hmm. next season, it was like, I punched in and I punched out. <laughs> and the minute I left, yeah. it was done. Yeah. And it was, yeah. now I didn't make as much money as I wanted or needed to make to live the kind of life that I felt that I deserved. <laughs> but like, at the end of the day, I ate, 
I was able to get around and I had a roof over my head. So it did exactly what it needed to do. Um, and I'm really grateful for that moment that I had because it sort of took me out of the rat race of like worrying about what my next job was. And the next two weren't so ideal either. But the point was, was that I was on a trajectory to get me to where I, I went. And the, but the other thing is I had to work. So that's what I did. I bitched and complained to my to certain friends, but I tried to put on a game face and like, that's what I did. You know, give someone a dime's worth for a nickel. Like you just do what you have to do. Yeah, I got um, I got to back it up a little bit and ask. Uh, walk us through this whole Satorialist thing. How did that happen? And, <laughs> you didn't let yeah. Johnny answer my question. I'm sorry. What was your uh, 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 Johnny? <laughs> was hard work Johnny, I apologize. Oh, right. To I, you, I was Johnny. like, Whoa, Go yeah, like, <laughs> Nick. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, um, oh, right. Um, well, I think that. Ah, oh, geez. Style is, um, I think good taste. You know, we say this all the time. Good taste is really difficult to find because no amount of money can bestow that upon a person. Um, then there is the studying. You know, I get asked all the time. It's like, how do you, um, how do you go about buying this and buying that? And I'm like, well, do you know what you're looking at? Um, you won't know what you have on your hands if you haven't done the research you know so whatever job you want you know first first they say dress for the part that you want right that's actually been scientifically proven um and secondly um i think uh putting in the work like nick said there's a lot of uh components that go showing into up that showing, yeah, up. showing up yeah, yeah. That, that's it. like so many of these yeah. are like aa mantras right and uh, I think um, being kind to people, that goes a long way. And then, right, it's the thing that, that they teach us, be of service. So I think um, growing up as, a, as an immigrant in this country, being of service was uh, to, to my benefit because, and this is how I got the job at Westwood. Um, as an intern, I was like, wait, so all these entitled kids are coming in because that's who I worked with, right? The showroom interns. All these entitled kids are coming in through no fault of their own. That's I'm like, they're rich. That's fine. Um, but they're not doing the work. They're like, they're clocking in, clocking out, taking like two hour lunches. And then they're wondering how it's possible for the VP to, to ask them to do an Excel sheet when they're only here to steam samples, right? And I was like, oh, okay, I got this. So then I was like, let me, um, in my mind, right, become the king of the interns. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I proposed my help to the person who I spotted needed the most help, the VP of sales. And I was like, sure, you know, I'll stay with you until 9 p.m. doing Paris couture orders. And then I remember one time, and I'll leave it on this note, right? Because it is it is a lot of hard work. Um, I remember one time as an intern, it was unpaid. It was still during these times when like, you know, the <laughs> yeah. whistle at Hearst hadn't been blown yet. Um, so I was unpaid. I was on the bus. Uh, I hadn't eaten all day and I was on the phone. I think the showroom had given me this cookie to like take home with me. <laughs> as big and as a my cigarette. Fucking head. <laughs> a cookie and an espresso. Yeah. Uh, and I called my mom and I was like, mom, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm like, I'm not. Why? And she, her response was really simple. She's like, no one's holding a gun to your head. You can leave whenever you want. 
but um it was the promise of this you know job that i wanted and the also the the ability to really humble yourself in this position because my grandma was pissed she was like you're fucking working for free she's like this is why you went to paris for and i was like trust me i was like it's part of the plan and it worked out but again it was this like waiting on the universe or like you know chutzpah to to (laughs) kick in and just you know but yeah showing up show up kids yeah wow that's that's that's, that's, that's. you felt like it was a combination of waiting and continually working consistency is key yes consistency is key in everything it's like you eat something consistently enough that's either healthy or bad for you and you'll see results you know it's like you study something hard enough with enough consistency and enough um uh, knowledge of it you 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 become it you you know it's uh people love uh, an overnight success story you know but that doesn't exist unless it's unless it's a very specific and and a small percentile of you know we speak of ne- nepo babies now right but what nepo babies nepotism babies oh, okay. yeah. yeah you've never heard of that before also no. everybody knows what nepo babies no. are. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what a nepo was like nepo some baby. like uh, you know what a nepo nepotism sounds like something you'd hear on uh like robertson in santa monica <laughs> <laughs> a nepo baby yeah, 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 some weird shit it's so true and it's uh-huh. so um i mean obviously hollywood's the obvious example and they gave many of them but i mean the whole fashion world much of the fashion world you know is traced similarly so many and not to single out vogue or Condé Nast, but so many people that have gone that have been able to work there are daughters and sons of usually daughters of famous people you know mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be just fashion but you know they come from somewhere yeah because that because the you know the uh, the other really unjust thing about the fashion world is how it is not built for people to sort of support them to be able to support themselves to be able to sort of move up usually you know these these jobs are so low paying that you've got to have some other means of support because yeah. it's not really wow. And it's it's one of the worst. Advertising is bad. You know, PR can be bad. Yeah. I think the entertainment business can be bad. There there are many terrible you know industries at the entry level. It's just fashion <laughs> is particularly bad. One of the I've I've noticed. Sorry to cut you off, but one of the things I've noticed about so many of these places is people hold the title of like you work for this place, you can take less money so you can say you do X job at Vogue or Condit, whatever, like Westwood in any of these places. That's kind of held over your head of like, you know, you you get to work for this prestigious, you know, thing, but we're not going to pay you, you know, accordingly or whatever. You know, it's really interesting you say that because I was min- making the mental note of what how this whole Westwood thing even happened right I gave myself a title at Westwood I'm like no I'm gonna be I what I call myself because they wanted to just be like okay you're the sales assistant and I'm like no I need to be more you know because with more with the title comes the pay you know and I think that it's so important I have an assistant now and I'm teaching her how to ask for more even when it's not within the office, you know, I'm like my, my resources. And I tell her, I'm really upfront with her. I'm like, my resources are limited. 
right now because we're still a very small team. Mm-hmm. However, go out there and you know, you're not going to be with me forever. Yeah. So having great mentors in whatever industry you're in is really, really helpful for, um, you know, it's, 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 you stand on the shoulders of giants, like, it's not that hard. So let me, um, let me go back to you giving yourself a title. Uh-huh. So even though they were saying you were a sales assistant, yeah. you were like, no, I'm, no, I'm going to give myself a title. Yeah. So in a sense, manifesting yeah. what you're going to become. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. That's really important. Yeah. I yeah. think uh, I heard, I learned that from Beverly Johnson. She was the, the model. The model yeah, yeah. The first black model to be yeah, on I used the cover. To think, oh, she was Vogue. bad. Mm-hmm. You know who Beverly Johnson is? No. I do. Of course, Nick does. But- <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Look up Beverly Johnson. Not now. Is she still alive? Not, yeah, not, she's still alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she looks wow. amazing. She has a daughter, sure. right? The models too, doesn't she? I think, or something like that. Probably. Yeah. A Nepo yeah. baby? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> a Nepo baby. I, listen, Beverly Johnson can do no wrong in my eyes. Okay. Um, I want to go back to my, my question for Nick. Um, uh, the Satorialist thing. How did that whole oh, thing? Yeah. Because there was, a, there was well, a time, even now though, you're still everywhere now, but there was a time when, man, Nick was plastered everywhere yeah. online. Bing, 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 bing. It was everywhere. Yeah. So, okay. So I tell, I mean, I, again, I've told this story before, but this is what you have to understand. So from 2000, really 2002 until 2010, six of those years I was living in Los Angeles and I was in a kind of a career I don't want to say wasteland, but it wasn't anything like what I had done before, which was Birdors, Barney's, Calvin, Ralph, John Bartlett. And then I was working for, you know, Splendid, a t-shirt company and this heinous woman named Rose Nichols, um, <laughs> who lives here. Um, like the company that's still around. Well, that's they're splendid. sort of around. Okay. Yeah. Rose um, Nichols. Rose Nichols. Shout out Rose Nichols. A horrible, horrible person. <laughs> um, oh God. But with all that said, um, <laughs> these were not sort of like the jobs that I that I felt that I was entitled to or that I deserved. But, you know, I needed to work and I'm so grateful to both of them for giving me the opportunity. The Splendid thing was amazing. Um, and at any rate, I in the fall of 2009, um, I read in Women's Wear that Tommy Fazio, who had been the men's fashion director at Neiman's and Bergdorf's, was leaving that job. And I remember talking to my sponsor and saying, you know, this is the job that I always wanted. When I was the men's buyer in in 1993, I had asked them to be the men's fashion director and they said, oh, we don't have that job. Okay. So then Michael Bastian became the men's fashion. And I was like, wait, that was supposed to be my job. And then Tommy Tommy Fazio, that was supposed to be my job. So I knew that I had nothing to lose because for the first time in my life, in those, those years of living in Los Angeles, I was really okay. Like I was okay with my life. I was sort of, Mm. you know, 14, 13, 14 years sober. Um, I was working the steps and, you know, for the second time in a very thorough way. And I sort of was at that place. And I really believed this then that if I, so when I told my sponsor, there's this job and, you know, I mean, there's no way I'm ever going to get it, but I want to go for it. And he was like, you should absolutely do that. And I really thought, I've been out of that realm for seven or eight years. So there's no way I'm going to get it, but there's no harm in asking, you know, and that was like, and I wasn't afraid. So I went through the steps and it took three months and I know that they exhausted a lot of other candidates before they got to me. 
But in January of 2010, like literally, I gave Splendid three days notice. I'm like, listen, I got this job. And on Saturday, I got to be on the plane. And or actually, it was Thursday. I've got to be on the plane to go to Milan. And so they were like, yeah, that's amazing. Of course, you can do that. And, you know, I tried to clean up what I could. And anyway, I landed in Milan on Saturday morning and or I, I went to work on Saturday morning and the job of fashion director for a retail store is to be the kind of eyes, ears, and voice for a store. So your job is to go to fashion shows. So I, Saturday morning, went to, you know, the schedule of shows and Tommy Ton and Scott Schumann took my picture on that first day. And I, you know, what, what I say about all this and when you say you, you <clears throat> see me around, I am convinced, <clears throat> excuse me, that the reason why I, why that happened is because I was fresh meat. You know, blogs have been around for th two, three, four years. The sartorialists have been around for mm. two or three years. And I, I know that I have a, <laughs> a look, <laughs> you know, I, I look a certain way. And although the dress code was to wear a suit, like a jacket and a tie, I still had this hair and, you know, I had a handlebar mustache at the time. And so I looked a certain way and I didn't look like anyone else. And so I'm convinced that those two things coupled with the timing and listen, I, I, this whole thing, like me sitting here today, I won the lottery. Like I, that was my winning the lottery because mm -hmm. I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. I showed up and that's how it happened. Like, mm -hmm. it's really no more. I couldn't tell you how it happened. I couldn't tell you why it <laughs> happened. I can just tell you that it happened. Do you re remember the day when either you realized it or people said to you, hey, you're you're popping up everywhere? Or <laughs> did your bosses say, hey, man, we see you. I mean, what they, was like? They did. And they were not happy about it. <laughs> really? Because, they, because it's human nature. They were jealous. Mm. Like, the guy that I worked for, he's another heinous queen. Um, <laughs> ha! Shout out to heinous queen. <laughs> Ken Downing. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, he actually, I'm so grateful to him for giving me that job. Like, I'm yeah. so grateful to him for giving me that job. He was a heinous boss and he was super <laughs> jealous of the attention that I was getting. That is 100% for sure. Mm. Um, and it kind of, I saw it unfolding. I knew as, yes, as I was popping up, I had set Google alerts for myself because I wanted to sort of and I could see Check your and, angles. Well, I wanted to see what was being said. And, and you're right. It was like that those first six months, the first six months of 2010. Yeah. Cause I, what's Tumblr? Like, I didn't even know what the fuck Tumblr was yeah. in those days. Yeah. Um, I thought they were making fun of me basically. And then I, cause there was like a meme that came out maybe that summer. And I really thought it was people making fun of me. Like yeah. I didn't know. What that, was it? And they called me Woost God. <laughs> and i was like are you making fun of me uh, it's like the first time i heard somebody call me an og and i'm like what does that mean old yeah. gay oh. <laughs> i had no idea that's funny um, which i am but um <laughs> old gay um same but you know it's just i guess i'm not really answering the question i it, no you are you are it just I, but as I, as it was happening, I'm like, Ooh, this is going to get me in trouble. And it did. I was only in that job for a year and a half yeah. until I got fired. And again, I'm so grateful, not that I got fired, that I got fired because it gave me the sort of the opportunity to do what I'm doing now, you know? Mm. And it was like, I didn't need to be in that job longer. 
Um, even though I still, of all the jobs that I ever had, it's kind of the job I still would like to do. But everything's different. Retail isn't even the same. Like mm -hmm. working for a department store today, not to shit on department stores, but like they're not even the same place as they were 13 years ago. Yeah. 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 I wanted to ask you, Johnny, um, if you can divulge if you can't i totally completely yeah. understand but for the grammys what are you what are you doing for the grammys? oh um i was i am costume designing uh for one of my clients who's nominated for i think adele's album um and what else i'm restoring i'm restoring a client's archive yeah. too uh couture pieces i get i got into appraisals uh, I grew up on uh, watching the Antiques Roadshow, so now I'm like, oh, cool! This is my job now. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. You know, um, I asked Nick this before, and this is just a cliche question that I like to ask people that are just just well versed in fashion. You know, um, and either one of you can answer this before Nick has answered this before, so he's probably gonna be like, yeah, you want to ask yeah. me? Huh? No, <laughs> you, not, not you. Not you. Well, you're already doing that. You're already doing something. Oh, we'll choose okay. higher. Okay. But. I mean, why haven't you done your own line and are you going to do your own line? Uh, so I, I, I first wanted to say that I really resonated with your story about that job that you last had and getting fired from it and having the sky be your limit in a way because I thought that I was going to do Westwood forever. I don't know why, until I got let go from the company and that was actually, you know, the God shot, right? That you call them. Cause had I, I was, you know, Austin had left already and I was sort of manning the ship, you know, and hiring people and doing the buys. And that was my dream job. Um, but you getting, got fired after that? Mm -hmm, I got let go. Oh, well, cause shit. they thought they saw it as a conflict of interest that I was selling oh, Westwood right, right, on right. the side, yeah, yeah. even though it wasn't it from was, the shop. No. Yeah. Okay. And there was a, there was a dissonance, you know, they yeah, were like, yeah. Oh no, we can't, Yeah. Uh, we that. can't have you yeah. here. But retail, the, the landscape of retail completely changed. And again, I feel very like right moment, right time, um, where vintage, vintage used to be called secondhand. You know, yeah, yeah. now it's no, it's like, oh, you're wearing vintage. Oh my God. No, it's, it's all a marketing name, you know? Um, but, uh, why I haven't started my own line. I, I told, I was, I, I told this in the New York post, um, that my aim now was to build fashion chimeras almost, you know, ah. I'm, I've been interested in, this is weird. I've been interested in Greek mythology since I was a kid. So I'm like, why don't we fucking cut everything up? And, you know, I, I, we did that with, um, I did that with a gown. I did that with a Westwood gown and it made its way to Vogue. And this is like what I want to say, like everything I do is not so that it gets plastered everywhere. You know, I don't give a shit. Yeah. I love the, I love the press, but uh, I'm doing it because I want to see if I can. You know, I'm I, I'm taking things apart and rebuilding them. So I told the, the New York Post, I'm like, I I did this set uh, from like this 1960s Pucci deconstructed like skirt suit set. And then we're taking, we own the references too. So I own Archival Mugler and Westwood and you name it, you know, because I fucking love it. So we're taking uh, the Mugler and tracing the patterns from that, making a bra and then 
I, my inspiration is now Carmen Electra and Prince. And there's this really funny story that Prince made Carmen Electra wear hot pants only <laughs> in the 90s. So I'm like, let's do that, you know? And then just it, it, like one story leads to another, you know? And I think um, that's kind of what I want to base my creations on, you know? The stories that have already been put in place, again, I, I mean, and environmentalism too. It's like we're, uh, look at what's going on with our planet, you know, overconsumption and overproduction. This is why the retail landscape has changed, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. H&M, there's a reason why Forever 21 is, you know, bankrupt because we're, the consumers are tired of seeing the same thing. So if it already exists, Ideally, I would love to have a, a class where I teach people how to make things. Yeah. You know, I think that is what's missing in, in society today. And that's why I'm really <coughs> happy that Gen Z is taking matters literally into their own hands, you know, and uh, you always adhere to the youth if you want to see progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's actually so. brilliant. I love the Chimera. Uh, oh, yeah, that. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, <coughs> I mean, nerd. that's, yeah. Wow. You know, you know what a chimera is? is? There's no talking here. Do you actually know what a chimera is? You're just saying that. Bro, I know what a chimera is. Bro, you know, I'm into anime. Spell it. Um, really? I can't spell. Bro, I'm a horrible speller. I say, the funny thing is, I used to enter uh, spelling bees all the time. Really? Yeah, in hopes that God would just touch me and make me a great speller. But I'd be the first one, the first one, you know, out of it. I'm not a good speller. But no, no, no. That was just a great analogy. A great analogy. I want to ask Nick about where he sees retail landscape going as an expert. Like, wh where, how is it different? Where is it going? Like, wh what do you feel about it right now? Well, I mean, commerce is always going to happen. Um, I mean, it's been going on since push carts and, you know, people bartering and trading for things. So I don't uh, ever doubt that we will buy and sell. And, you know, clothing fashion is a you know it's a need it's a necessity it's a you know shelter food clothing like those are the three things that we have to survive on i mean technically i guess we don't have to but um but we do so um the prop the thing is i i don't know the exact answer um i do believe fully that retail that actual physical stores will continue to have a place but do we need suburban malls dotted with hundreds of the same thing, you know, 10 miles apart? I, I doubt it. But I think destinations and again, I think about myself in cities, so I can't really speak to the rural thing. But, mm. you know, the, I guess the good news about where we are today is that it doesn't matter where you live because of um, online shopping. You can basically have anything you want if you can afford it or if you, you know, have access to high speed Wi-Fi uh, Internet. But. It, it will seem that it will be a combination of the two. Um, but like right now, Los Angeles, I think we're really, okay, Los Angeles, in my opinion, has the best specialty stores in the United States right now relative to New York, but unfortunately doesn't have a, like I, I was helping a guy who lives in Hancock Park, 70-year-old guy, Rich, who his daughter was getting married and he needed a new he had a several row suit, but he wanted new shirt, tie, braces, socks, you know, handkerchief. Okay, there there isn't a store in Los Angeles to do that. Yes, we could we ordered some stuff online, and but you know, bar, with Barney's being gone, um, 
And I understand 70 year old guys who want classic clothes is not the business, but it's a void. Mm -hmm. And so I do think, unfortunately, that we're going to have to live with a lot of voids, <laughs> you know, for every Dover Street and every, you know, concept store that's coming around, there's going to be not those places that we used to be able to go and buy pocket squares or yeah. wool socks and traditional menswear, right? Traditional yeah. menswear. I mean, it's already, I mean, it's already disappeared, vaporized from department stores. You know, Saks used to have a classic menswear business. Bergdorf still does, but it's a fraction of its former self. Um, Barney's doesn't exist. Bloomingdale's doesn't really have it. You know, Nordstrom doesn't, they have it, but it's usually at the lower end. So it's, it's tough, you know, it's really tough. And I understand things need to change and things do change, but um, I think there will always be concept stores. I think there will always be Apple and, you know, and, and Hermes and these kinds of like the best at what they do, the best in class kind of thing. Um, but I think it's gonna be hard to navigate anything that's not that, hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. We do a line of pocket squares. <laughs> uh, I mean, pocket squares aren't really my thing. Okay. You know, it's interesting. Um, I was reading this article after Fashion Week, and they were saying how you know, and Nick and I briefly discussed it. How um, streetwear is going to you know go back to its respective you know lane and whatnot, and high fashion is going to be in its lane because they were once juxtaposed or you know merging together at, at one particular time. And um, Nick and I were having the conversation. I was, and I was saying to him, you know, in my you know limited knowledge, I was like, well, the person from the streetwear community that's had a taste of high fashion, had a taste of something that's supposed to be dope and high end and door and cool and whatnot. Passed away. I, yeah, I can't see mm -hmm. them saying, "Man, I'm a, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, going back to my hoodie and you know." Um, sweatpants type thing. I like that. I want to try this. I want to delve into this more. I want to make it a little. I mean, you see, you see it with uh, with different rappers. You see it with different artists and people that are wearing things that guys in the '90s and early 2000s wouldn't wear. Right? It's it's, it's changing. A great ASAP Rocky is a great example of that. Um, and either one of you can answer. It doesn't matter. Where do you? I mean, what do you think? What do you? Where do you see it? Do you? And again, we've had this conversation. Well, but. yeah, and I, I so and I understand that this may not be popular with you know your <laughs> listeners, like the um, the people who those what, people. What's been so great about the past <laughs> eight, seven or eight? Did I say that? No, no, I, I, no. no oh Austin. God. Listen, um, before Nick, not to cut you off, I want you to hold that thought. Um, you guys heard Austin say that, right? So for those of you out there, if you see him on the street, beat him up. Thank you. All right, continue. Nick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I was gonna say is, you know, the thing that's been so amazing about the last seven or eight years in men's fashion is that it opened up the floodgates to an entirely different customer. This, and you know, what was always called streetwear, which really was code for urban, you know, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. you know, and so the fact that all of that sort of became, uh, normal or became part of the discord like this was now fashion mm. is an amazing thing you know because if you go into any department store now the 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 people shopping there were not the people shopping there 20 years ago or even 10 years ago or 15 yeah. years ago and so in that regard streetwear has been an incredibly uh amazing influence on menswear but i've been a very 
harsh critic about this idea that the business suffered, the menswear business suffered when things like leather sold shoes got replaced by sneakers or tailored jackets got replaced by hoodies, that the craftsmanship of menswear was being lost in that thing because you know, it doesn't, it takes, it doesn't take the same skill set to make a hoodie as it does to make a tailored jacket. <clears throat> right. And, yeah. you know, to, to, you know, last a pair of leathers, good year welted shoes is like a whole different thing than making a sneaker. There's no problem with either one of them, but it's just that when we did that, when the menswear business did that to itself, of course things changed. I mean, yes, there was probably a lot of, uh, there were new customers that were brought to the table, but like stores that used to sell $2,500 jackets were then selling $800 hoodies. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a one, it wasn't like, Oh, they're buying three hoodies for every one coat. It's like, it's a one for one kind of thing. So it changed. And again, this is just my sort of like observation. I'm sure that somebody could tell me differently, but I, but fundamentally I understood that that was happening. What happened in Paris this last season or this last month, you know, I just got back last Monday, um, last week was, and I, and I do believe this and I am really happy to see it is there were actually clothes on the runway. And what I mean by that is more tailored, more sort of like less reliant on logos, hoodies and sneakers and more about beautiful boots. And let me tell you something, it's more expensive. Now, will that translate? Because here's what here's what always happens anyway. It doesn't matter what the runways show. Mm-hmm. What's going to be in the stores is going to be a direct reflection of what's selling now. So if Saks is still selling hoodies, guess what? doesn't matter what was shown on the runway. They're buying hoodies. Gotcha. <laughs> um, if sneakers are still selling, and even though Dries only showed boots and clogs, mm-hmm. they're going to buy Sneakers, you know what I, I mean? I'm just using that as an example. I'm not saying that Dries didn't su- show yeah. sneakers. But the point is, is that the business will always be a direct result of the business. So it doesn't matter what's being shown, but what's bubbling up and what will happen is I think that's going to expose guys who were wearing hoodies and sneakers into something new. And so that is what I will be excited to see. And it'll be the interpretation because, you know, not everybody can do head to toe of super expensive clothes. I mean, like the prices of some of these brands is insane right now, you know, um, but, but for me, it's encouraging to see that there's a return to something where there's actual craftsmanship and tailoring. And that to me is interesting. Um, for me personally, it may not be to the rest of the world, but it is to me. Gotcha. Yeah. So I had a great response, Nick. Um, you talk about voids and you talk about craftsmanship, right? Uh, I think that uh, O'Neill, I think that uh, there's a, for every push, there's a pull, right? Um, the, the, the streetwear community uh, took inspiration from Raph Simmons when Raph, uh, was developing these uh, these cuts in really luxurious fabrics. Virgil Abloh at Louis Vuitton took that to new heights. He passed away. We talk of this void, yeah. you know, who's going to replace Virgil? And uh, 
But also the, the notion of trends, what we see on the runway doesn't necessarily translate to what people are going to be buying because I think, and there's a direct correlation in how we're consuming information nowadays mm -hmm. and how, um, and, and, and the buying power of communities that historically have been marginalized, you know, yeah. uh, Latinos, Latinos are coming up in this country in terms of buying power, uh, the Latino buyer, what's he buying? What are they buying? You know, uh, I think also uh, in terms of the the way that we consume media now, think about it. You know, when, when Shalom Harlow walked the finale of McQueen's, uh, I believe spring, summer 1999, when she was sprayed by those robots, that caused national headlines right there was no social media the way that we have it right now yeah. so i can see suits <laughs> all day long and i can you know i can tell people like you know learn about savile row and uh and and what king charles wore and whatnot right yeah how long is i gonna li live online you know before you scroll on to the Nike, the the Prada Raf that looks like Nike, the just, Forever Twenty Prada, like yeah. bro, just you Jared. know, the just what the fuck just is Jared. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just Jared selling T-shirts now. I don't know, just T-shirts. Yeah. You know, I, I that's a joke. Um, <laughs> but I, it's 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 a you know how fucking amazing would it be to tell people like we need more cobblers and less influencers, right? <laughs> But how, 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 how out of touch would that come across, right? Yeah. Uh, we look at the, the loss in craftsmanship. All these people that are on Savile Row are of a generation that are traditionalists, right? I'm getting all of my press pieces uh, framed. Going to this framer alone, just as an example, right? It's this, it's a middle-aged woman helping this man that's almost on his way out that's it's a family-owned business and i asked her the other day i'm like who's gonna replace you guys she's like i don't know yeah. and i'm like find an apprentice wow you know but this is this is me the alarmist you know i feel mm. like no political affiliation by any means but i feel like the bernie sanders of like the vintage world <laughs> no i love this that like, this, was, this was on bill this was exactly what? being spoken about on bill maher last night um on real time you know we have this idea that in order to be successful you have to go to college and yeah college is a total racket and a scam yes what we really need are tradespeople. you know think about it if my father was a mechanic if mm. if i had one ounce of the skill that my father possesses I'm sure I could make even more money than I'm making now because if you're really good at a trade, plumbers, electricians, um, carpenters, <laughs> tailors, yeah. cobblers, um, I, I'm sure there's many more, welders, like so many of these jobs. You Well, I, I tell fashion people, kids this too. If you're a design student, and of course every design every kid who's in design school sees themselves as the next Virgil or Raph Simmons or whatever. And okay, great. It's great to have dreams, but I promise you <laughs> not all of you are going to be that. However, if you possess some skills in the world of design and you're really organized and you became a production person, 
you would put a zero on the end of what your earning potential will be relative to a creative director. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, any good production person is easily going to make twice as much or 10 times as much as a good designer any day of the week, especially as you continue to go on. The same with pattern makers. You know, pattern makers are the real designers in the world, not not designers, because wow, yeah. they're the ones who have to bring it to life. Mm-hmm. The sketch, the drape, the whatever. And those people are truly the most remarkable talents that we have. And I always think that if you have that ability, that's where you should go because you will always have a job. Let me tell you something. The world doesn't need a 68-year-old creative director, but a 68-year-old pattern maker will work for the rest of his or her life. <laughs> Sounds like, you know, it, it's a great parallel to like Hollywood, like with editors and mm-hmm. your writers and the people that are just behind all of the, the behind the scenes. people that it takes yeah. to make f- something come to life. Yeah. You hear about them you don't know about them it's just the people that are in front of the camera but there's a whole city of individuals you know from the costume designers everything yeah. that gives you everything it, it's the whole village but like what johnny was saying the way we consume media like that's not the sexy job is yeah. the behind the scenes person you're not seeing him in your feed you can be a sexy cobbler like you know what I mean? i'm yeah. That's the thing it's like we we take for granted that now given the given the platforms that we have on our phones, right? Marketing, marketing yourself is free. You can live your, you can be your own editorial star every single day. You know what I mean? I think that when, when Nick rose to prominence, it was like you said, right, right place, right time. You know, you were at the forefront of what men's wear should look like, you know, is this very romantic, very put together look that made people fall in love with you, you know, from all walks of life. You didn't have to adhere to whatever. You just looked at it, right? You looked at images of Nick and you were like, wow, I'm inspired, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Now we, and I tell people this all the time, it's like, um, I hate talking about trends because I think it's, uh, it, we should look at the world in a bigger sc- scope than that. Um, I don't like talking about one single designer because if you talk about one single designer, you lose your own inspiration. You know, it's mm-hmm. like find what inspires you. What's interesting, you know, about what the both of you are saying, and what makes something come to my mind is narratives. Mm. Right? Narratives are so influential. And I was uh, talking to someone about um, marketing and pushing their product the other day. And I was telling them, I was like, you know, it's it's. I feel like it's less about the actual product that you created, even though it, the craftsmanship and everything is just gorgeous. But, you know, they were talking about how to get it out and how to get it seen. And I was like, you just have to create a dope story, mm-hmm. you know, because if, if you make a, a fucking pair of socks. Yeah. But you put this person that are wearing your socks in this lavish or cool or just nostalgic any situation that'll make me feel like i want to be there i'm buying your I'm socks. buying the socks if it's you're like, in cuba and you're about to go do, yeah. uh, have a drink and a beautiful person walks by and you want to dance but you got the socks on i'm like shit i'm gonna get me some of them socks. i'm get three pairs it's like yeah. it's like bombas <laughs> you know like yeah. bombas has become this amazing yeah. brand because of the story behind it yeah the very same thing i was talking to my daughter about that last night about how you can be a superstar in any realm yeah. with social media. Yeah. You can be a superstar doctor. Yeah. You can be a superstar anesthesiologist. You can yeah. be a superstar cobbler. Mm-hmm. You can, there is no, 
No one superstar <laughs> diplomat, no one descended from the heavens <laughs> and said, You can only be a star basketball player, yeah. football yeah. actor. Did it, no, you can be you can be anything. So, and I was explaining that to her. So, I, I find uh-huh. it really ironic that we're talking about that's that cool. Right now. But what were you saying about Bumble? Because I personally, uh, yeah. well, it, it's a sock brand that. You know, socks are dopey in a way. Um, but the point is, is they've got a story behind it. They give one away for every pair that they sell. And they now yeah. they're doing it with underwear and T-shirts. And the top three items that are needed in homeless shelters are socks, mm-hmm. number one, underwear, number two, and T-shirts, number three. And so the point is, is that they've taken a sort of generic category, socks, and made it into an interesting story. And I believe that's part of their success. Mm -hmm. You know, everything is storytelling really now. Um, And it's because, you know, I think somebody already said this, but it's like you could have the world's best product, but if you can't (laughs) package it, it's gonna flounder. I have, yeah. I was was gonna say one of the things I think you do better than any, I mean, to my knowledge, you're an incredible storyteller with the vintage pieces because they've lived a previous life, but you love putting that into like the visuals, the words behind it. Like it's very well thought. So I think I really appreciate about how you take the vintage pieces and you give it a new life. And, and it's like, there's a new story that can be told with it. Thank you. And I think that that draw is drawn from uh, vulnerability uh, you have to be vul- You have to be. Pu- you have to put yourself in a vulnerable position to continue a story. You know. Yeah. Um, and this is where community comes in because what we're doing right now is part of that. You know, it's how our we are all talking about our feelings in a manner that's emotive to our respective industries. But what are we taking away from all of this? You know, only your listeners will will tell you the yeah. feedback based on on today's conversation. Um, but it's the storytelling. I mean, we look at ancient man, you know, we sat around the fire talking about like this, you know, it's Aristotle, Socrates, like this has all been, this is all documented. Um, we're just now living in a completely different environment that in a structure that we've made for ourselves, you know, capitalism, yeah. um, religion and religion Talk about a storytell- storytelling yeah. Yeah. It's and it can be beautiful if you remove yourself from it from time to time and then come back to it. You know, I think for 2023, my res- my biggest resolution was to stop embracing the the sad fashion boy trope. You know, no. um, through What's that? well, you, Austin knows my story. I battling with addictions. You know, since I was 14 years old. And finally coming out of that 20 years later, um, I'm like, oh, wait, like I thought that making hat because I, I love I love making hats. Yeah. Uh, Halston uh, Lanvan started off as milliners. And um, I take a lot of inspiration from Halston, you know, and uh, so I started making hats. And then one day I woke up and I was so depressed. And I was like, the only thing that's going to make me feel better is if I create something, you know, yeah, yeah. now. And then when and when I was in the throes of my addiction, I thought I was like, I can I can only create when I'm depressed, you know, <laughs> and it's so. But think about what that 
tugs at the heart. It, st- it tugs at the heartstrings, you know, because it feeds into this idea that only tragic and 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 forlorn artists are able to create beauty. You know, yeah. no, it's like now I take inspiration from meditation, the twelve steps, yeah. you know, sobriety, things that are unsexy, you know. But and Austin. Well, uh, you said something really interesting when when O'Neill came over to uh, with your girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Where Austin was like, you can live the, your wildest dreams, you know, through sobriety. And I was like, I used to think that my wildest dreams was to have a million dollars and like run a multi whatever business. Right. And then be super successful in the eyes of the industry that I'm in. That's all achievable. Yeah. You know, yeah. I. But my, now my wildest dreams is to be at peace with myself, yeah. have a great relationship with the people around me, and um, and create from from a mentality of stability, yeah, and peace, yeah, yeah, yeah. Zen. <laughs> Zen. Yeah, damn, you, you said something that when you were talking. You were. I, I, just, I say a lot of things. You say great things. Let <laughs> yeah. me think of something that I want yeah. to jump on, but it, it, I, now I've forgotten what. what okay. Uh, <laughs> The sartorial Socrates. No, no, don't do that. <laughs> oh, now, now you're making me forget everything. Gosh, um, I wanted to, to touch on something that you just said. Oh, okay, we'll come back. Community conversation. Community the, conversation. The, um, the Neolithic man. Um, uh, telling <laughs> a story. Narratives. Campfire stories. Yeah. That, that's true. Narratives. I, it's not coming to me. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to switch gears for just a minute, but based on something you said earlier in the, uh, in the talk, Johnny, about taste and you know Mm. this is one of those things that i think is completely under talked about underdeveloped under you know appreciated in our world today and it was the only thing that mattered when i learned how to be a fashion person and that was taste from the moment i started working in a clothing store the the Roth family in Salina, Kansas, the Pressman family at Barney's in the 80s, they were a hundred percent about taste and how and your taste. And like they would. And so the reason why I'm bringing all this up is because mm-hmm. I, I think that like this world that we're in today of like Zoom and how that somehow is replacing going to work, which I have a huge problem with. Mm. I guess because I don't do that every day. Um, so it's easy for me to say, but the, no, but the thing that is so I, I know for a fact is that I would not have the, cause I, I believe you have to have a raw, it's like a diamond. Like there's a raw piece of material there to be able to polish into something, but first it's the raw material. I do believe that taste is a um, kind of a, a God-given thing like, you know, musical talent or the mm-hmm. ability to play sports or something. Um, but you have to practice. And I do believe that taste is a skill that has to be developed and refined and honed. Um, and the way that I learned taste was via side-eye. You know, and I don't think you could, I don't think you could learn that on Zoom. You know, oh, okay. it's like that. Can you give us um, an, an example of the VSIDI thing? Yeah, like, you know, well, I'll also tell the story. So everything that I learned in this world, in the fashion world, I learned from Peter Rizzo, who was my boss at Barney's. And it, the very first buying appointment I ever went on was, in those days, I was a suit buyer, a clothing buyer. And so the way you buy suits is from a stack of swatches. Like you're looking at the fabric 
And then later you decide which way it's going to go. Is it going to be single-breasted, double-breasted, three-button, two-button, whatever. So you go through a stack of swatches and Peter said, okay, have at it. And I was like, you know, yes, no. And so Peter didn't say a single word through the entire thing. And I was like sweating bullets. Like the (laughs) sweat was going down my butt crack. Like it was so terrifying. And at the end of it, he didn't say anything. He just said, let me see your outs. Like, let me see the ones you said no to. (laughs) And that was such a powerful thing because he said, I don't care what you've chosen. (laughs) Some strong water, huh? Yeah. Yeah. He had a similar similar experience. (laughs) He had a similar experience, yeah. (laughs) Hilarious. I know. I'm going to lose it any minute now, too, because I feel like coughing coming on. But, um, But Peter was like, let me see your outs. Let me see the ones you didn't select. And that's when he started grilling me about why didn't you choose that? Why didn't you choose that? Mm. Because I was missing, like the point was, was the things that I missed. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, all of that is you learn that by being with someone. You can't learn that over a computer screen or a phone screen. And so it's those intangible skills, but also just when you, so like I used to do this too. If you walk into a showroom and you're like, oh my God, I love that. And somebody just looks at you sideways like, really? That's how you, that's how I learned how to sort of like reel it in or to sort of refine it because it's like, you don't have to verbally masturbate every single emotion and thing you think about. Sometimes it's good to just kind of hold back and then, you know, and so all of these things, which I believe are fundamental to working in the fashion business, I had to learn the hard way, which was like making a fool of myself, doing it with someone, you know, and being in person with someone because you can't. And so I really wonder what this next generation is going to be like if everything is through a screen. I'm not saying it can't be done. I just think it'll be different. Yeah. You know, um, I was thinking about how uh, earlier Johnny was saying how it's been scientifically proven how you know when the way you dress how it makes you feel and yeah. how you and that's so important because you know some people that may view fashion and some people having an obsessive you know love with it love affair with it to be uh, frivolous and stupid and okay just i don't care about all that like i i think i read an article with rick owen saying that he designs the way he designs you know because there's so many beautiful things in the world for you to go see that you shouldn't be like perusing your closet for too long you should go out there and experience the world yeah, so he's Rick Owens and he does what he does. But um, I am a big believer in that whole, the way you dress, it just it conjures up a feeling, right? Yeah. And when it conjures up this feeling, you go out and you do and you move in a different way. It, it, it just is what it is, you know? And um, the, uh, the emphasis put on the way you dress and the way you take care of yourself and the way you manicure, manicure yourself and, you know, I, I think should be increased even more. Because I think we'd get more productivity. We'd get more positive results if people were like, okay, today when I get up, I'm putting this together and I'm going out and this is who I'm going to represent myself or present myself as. To tie it back into what Nick was saying, though, like I remember working at Vivian early on. I didn't know, I had never sold women's clothes and, and definitely not sold couture. You know, so selling to, you know, someone who can go in there and spend five, 10 grand at Vivian, you know, like, sometimes you have to learn firsthand, like you're saying the side eye thing, like you have to learn firsthand through somebody, but also 
having experience as a as a someone um, in there to buy and like they some people don't know what gives them confidence. So like having you know tastemakers and you know people who are stylists to come in and show you how to put something together show you something it's like oh wow that actually makes me feel really good i yeah. i feel like i can go out and go get that job today yeah. i might go ask that you know that that girl out on, on a date or so whatever or guy or guy yeah whatever um <laughs> or guy or, austin or guy <laughs> yeah okay. or guys yeah or, different, yeah or girls yeah um so i i think that's like that experience of like the retail experience and going in with someone to show them oh see how this fits you right you know like it's, you can't do that online like those things are are and the lost experiment yeah uh o'neill to uh to answer your question to well your query uh it's called enclosed cognition so it's an experiment that was done in i believe it was 2012 they gave these two controlled groups uh one garment one was one control group they told them that they were wearing lab coats and then they were like made to do a series of tests yeah. the other control group received the same coat but they were told they were receiving they were wearing artist smocks so based on the test results they saw they quantified the approach that each group took so the lab coat, of course, the people that were wearing quote unquote lab coats uh, answered the tests in a more, uh, what, method, methodic, methodical uh, yeah. way. The ones who were wearing the artist mocks thought that, you know, they were, they, they, they took liberty to express their emotions and um, to arrive to their conclusions. So it, it does, it, it's, it, it, this is what I fucking love about, <laughs> about this, like, yeah, sometimes, you know, it's like, it can be all very like masturbatory to qu question everything around you. And it's, and, but you only arrive to this answer if you even have that initial question, you know, it's like, well, why the fuck am I wearing this hat today? Why am I wearing what I'm, why am I wearing, you know? Yeah. Um, I think, I think if we just asked more questions and didn't have this fear of looking dumb, then I think there we'd find it. I think that the, everything that you want is out there uh, for you to to know and to experience. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's that's amazing. Well, yeah, what I was going to say is you've just explained overpacking. Like when I go, when I, so I used to do three bags that would become four, like check three bags, the biggest bags, the biggest, heaviest bags you can have that become four. This time I went with four that became five. And it's for exactly this reason, because I don't know how I'm going to feel on any given day. Mm. And it's like, I got to have options. And it's so, because these people that can plan ahead what they're doing. Yeah. I look at the weather and yeah, I sort of think about like, okay, what do I, what do I have to do? But like, I don't know how I'm going to feel. <laughs> it's a huge problem. <laughs> I was God cracking up. Nick, Hold on. Just, I was no, cracking no, no, up. No, no, I was no, thinking no. like. We went on a trip to New York and uh, he's like, yeah, I asked Nick, uh, like Nick told me how to, what I should wear, like what, what to bring for fashion week. I'm like, oh yeah, what'd he tell you? He's like, well, we're going for five days, mind you. He's like, yeah, he told me to bring seven pairs of pants. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, bro, we ain't going to fashion week like that. And he was clowning me. I was like, yeah, I talked to Nick. So I, cause that's my big issue too. I don't fucking know how to pack. And Nick, I don't know why you didn't tell, why would you just said right now? Why didn't you say it to me before? Like, I don't know how, cause listen, 
after you told me how to pack and I bragged to him and I packed, I was still depressed. I was like, man, okay, I don't but, I, but I'm going to, but I'm going to also say something. If I look like you, or if I look like you, I could only bring three white t-shirts and like two pairs of pants because you look good in that. Like if you look excellent, if your body is in amazing shape, you should only wear white t-shirts. But see, okay, but I, like I took, is, I I took really that advice, Nick, Nick, I packed like 20 white t-shirts. Right. I took your advice. <laughs> but what you just said right now is how I feel. Like I, on that day, I may not feel like wearing that white t-shirt and those and those trousers. Yeah, you might want to wear a skirt. Well, then you got to go. Buy, then you got to go. I might buy it. layer well, myself. But you're right. It's the it's how you feel. I never thought about that. But I you just said that. But I also say I've also said this about me. Like all the Tumblr pictures, all of this, all of this is a hundred percent insecurity. Elaborate. If yeah, you know. I, I've always felt like my body was not good enough or that I don't look right or I'm too short. Mm -hmm. And so dressing is a way to cover up those insecurities. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Absolutely. I mean, it's why I wear platforms, you know, it's why I wear heels. Cause if I'm short to my eyes, I'm like, okay, well, let me, let me be taller. Let me, but, and I think I, I agree also with Nick, uh, on this idea of where, what looks good on your body, you know? Um, why I always tell clients this when I'm outfitting them, I'm like, why are you doing yourself a disservice by shortening your torso or shortening your legs? Like proportions. I mean, like, this is why we have the, what the Vitruvian man that Da Vinci drew out mm -hmm. the man with the perfect proportions. I'm like, think about that when you dress. I don't know, whatever. Johnny's dropped some obscure references. I on do, but you. But the takedown, the yeah. Nick Wooster version of that is just dress for your body. Dress for time. your yeah. body. Yeah. I mean, that some is people never single, hear that, though. Some people yeah, don't yeah. hear that. That's yeah. the single most important piece of fashion advice, <laughs> style advice you can, anyone can have. But they want it to be more complicated. They want it to be more layered. When you say that, it's like you're a guru. And I've been, I traveled all the way up to this mountain right. to, to, to meet Nick and Johnny. And I'm like, Nick, Johnny, hey, hey, the fashion guru, tell me what I must no. do to be fresh. So, yeah. Dress the according to how you build. The delivery is <laughs> like, important. Yeah. The delivery is yeah. important. You, got, you, can, you can say things that other people can't get away with saying. Like me? I remember oh. I told some somebody at Vivian one time, there were these shoes that were just so out there and it was just like, those shoes were gonna wear him. You know what I mean? I'm oh. like, dude, I was like, don't, you don't wanna buy those. Like, <laughs> yeah. don't buy them. And like, I just couldn't, it wasn't, yeah. like I didn't care about the sale. I cared more about like, bro, yeah. you're gonna walk out of here and be like, no one's gonna fuck with yeah. those shoes. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like I can't get away with saying it the way you do, but some people do need to hear it. You know, like it's it's not it's well, not everything's for everybody. I mean, the salesperson, right, would be like, "Well, if you can't, if these don't look good on you, let me show you which ones are yeah. for you." You know, or like, yeah. "Go for I just this. told him or to like, leave. I, yeah. uh, you leave." No, no, <laughs> no. Austin would take my sales. <laughs> that <laughs> like sounds in, like something Austin would like, do. I was thinking about this too because colonizing sales, <laughs> <laughs> colonizing, <laughs> colonizing black it's, women in sales, <laughs> <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Um, this was fun. This was fun. This was yeah. great. This has is been a, uh, yeah, this is, that, that's it. Oh. That's it. You didn't, you, you didn't hear Johnny just signal it by saying this was fun. Oh, I guess Johnny oh, decided no, it was over. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, look, you see what he did? He was like, this was fun. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, no. This has been a special edition of Three Black Guys on the Couch. A special fashion edition. The couch smells amazing, by the way, because of these two guys. Are, oh, you, yeah. are you trying to say that when Al's no. O'Gary and it doesn't Renee are sitting on the couch, it doesn't smell good? You can say it, be honest. Don't. 
It's not. It, that I'm, I'm, I haven't sat between them. I'm just, you know, basing yeah. it off of yeah. whatever these guys are wearing. Yeah. Aqua di Parma. It was an honor. What are you wearing, Nick? Diptyque. Oh. Philosicos. The fig one. And the suit? Calm. Digger song. Home plus. Yeah. I'm wearing a. Uh, or does anyone care? No, yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. I'm wearing uh, no maintenance. You know, uh, shout out to no maintenance. You know what I'm saying? My, my dog's over there. I love know? that color on you. Thank you. It looks so really much. good. Thank you so much. Uh, Austin, do you like it too, Austin? Yeah, it looks great. Say you like it, bro. I like it. <laughs> okay. Blue and brown is the chicest combination oh, ever. Love Aqua it. and chocolate is like the perfect thing. Really? Yeah. Nick put me up on so many different um, ways to use color. Like he was talking about green. Color theory. Yeah, I, I had I had no idea. And he's like, well, Neil, you know there's different olive greens and yeah. military greens. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, like that green does not match that green. Yeah. And then I watched that Tom Sachs video and I'm like, man, what type of green I've been wearing all my yeah. life? Yeah. So. Well, color standards. I mean, it's like Ralph Lauren, <laughs> there's a navy blue. There's not, I mean, there's a billion shades of navy blue, but a Ralph, there's one. Valentino, Valentino Rosso. Right. Red Valentino. See, man, fashion episode thank you like and subscribe